Hi, and welcome to On the Road. I am your host, Rick Courier. This is the podcast where you get to join me for coffee and cocktails with tech partner marketers. Together, we'll learn from their experience and have a little fun. Today, I'm hot off the plane for this episode. I woke up at 4.30 this morning in Golden, Colorado to catch my flight to LaGuardia. I landed at 1.30 p.m. for a 2 p.m. recording in Astoria. And guess what? I actually made it. (laughs) But that's life on the road. Boy, am I glad I made this one because I get to sit down with Matt Berry, CEO of Conversion Marketing, in the beautiful Samurai Hotel recording studio. If you're listening to this on audio, make sure to check it out on YouTube. It's stunning, and I actually learned that this studio has recorded several Emmy Award-winning musicians. That's why I love taking this show on the road. And I get to talk to great people too, like Matt, whose agency is working with a variety of partner marketing organizations to help with go-to-market strategies and messaging. In our conversation, we talk about how to avoid logo swapping on partner programs and how storytelling can help partner programs deliver greater results. Matt also shares some sage advice at the end that really gets me thinking about how I'm personally running my own team. So grab a drink and join us as we dive in. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And please give us a rating on Spotify and Apple to help us find new listeners. Cheers. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Rick. I'm very excited to to have you on. I've talked to a lot of partner marketers, but I haven't had anyone on the show that works for an agency that supports partner marketers. So I feel like you have a very unique perspective to bring to the audience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, I I worked at IBM for 15 years and worked with a lot of agencies. So it kind of sparked the idea to go off and create something that I thought was really needed. Yeah, there's so much I want to dig in there, even on the IBM side. First, I'm just happy to be in Queens. I've actually been coming to New York for, I think, two decades now. I've never been to Queens. Wow. Just driven through it from LaGuardia. It's usually straight into Midtown, and that's it. So wow. I've seen it out the window. And a little trivia, I was actually, uh, I was born in Queens. Didn't oh, yeah? spend a lot of time here, but yeah, we were, uh, I was born in, in Flushing, Queens. And uh, my father was raised right, like, right next to City Field, what used to be Shea Stadium. So I've spent a good amount of time here. Get some Greek food while you're here. That, I think that's what the team and I are doing later tonight is, Must. is Greek food. Yeah. yeah. So, because the Greek food in Colorado, not so good. <laughs> no, the Greek food right here is, you, it can't be beat. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm just happy I made it. I yeah. landed literally, I think, what is it? It's 2.30 now. This was scheduled for two. I landed at 1.30 in LaGuardia. Everyone thought I was crazy coming to LaGuardia expecting an on-time arrival, but but I did it, and here I am. There you go. <laughs> we both got here uh, just at the same time. Great, great. So so tell me a little bit about conversion marketing, and then I want to I want to backtrack from there and go a little bit back to your past and how we got here. Sure. So conversion marketing, we work with B2B technology companies and primarily to help them with their partner marketing programs. We do everything from, in some cases, we've helped establish partner programs to, you know, helping them build, run campaigns in partnership with AWS, Microsoft, Google, Cisco, VMware, NetApp. So we've worked with I would say most of the large enterprise partners. Um, and our goal is to really help these companies utilize the resources they already have available to them. And then really, how do you capitalize on the relationship you have with these industry leaders, um, both for some brand recognition, you know, if you're a smaller player, less known, hitching your ride to um, an established player like that in some cases. In some cases, they are an established company, and then how do you do something really powerful and unique bringing those brands together. Hmm. Is it So how does it work? Is it usually like an AWS with a partner and saying, hey, we want you to come and help this partnership? Do, you know, I guess the question is, do both partners have to agree to work with you? Is one partner primarily bringing you in and, and paying for it? How does it work? Because, and this is always my yeah. challenge, it's like you're working with two different marketing organizations, two different budgets, two different bureaucracies, two different groups that think, oh, I, I got this covered. And the other group might be like, no, we need to bring in an expert here. What does that look like? Yep, great, great question. So we always start by working with that part, the, the company that wants to part, that is partnering with AWS, Google, Microsoft. Mm-hmm. We have relationships with those companies and we know their brand guidelines, we know how their funding works, but we go right to the companies that we believe really need this type of help, that they're, whether they have a marketing team or a marketing person or not, um, 
you know, by the time we're talking to them, it's usually because they're not taking full advantage of the partnership they have and they see other partners, you know, a lot of it, we, we actually get calls a lot when Microsoft will come out with their annual awards and it usually starts to churn up um, people saying, you know, we need to be in this list. You know, how do we yeah. even start to get on the map? We're, we've been a partner of Microsoft for 10 years um, and we could get into it, but a big part of what we do is also the awareness with the Microsofts and AWS and Googles because they have just thousands of partners. So how do you stand out? Or if not stand out, how do you make it really easy to understand the value you bring versus other partners because you're really competing in a few spaces? Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that. One of the things I've been learning through this, this podcast series is, you know, when I, when I think of awareness and education, historically I always thought of with the end users, the buyers. But the more I'm learning is there's a, there's a big portion of awareness and education advocacy that goes on within the partnerships themselves. 100%. And um, I'll give you an example. You know, we, we've been working with a, a large engineering um, services firm and $2 billion company with a B. And they partner with Google, Microsoft, AWS, Adobe, Salesforce. Um, and I would say it's safe to say that for the most part, those companies don't know who this player is. And they've been a partner for 10 plus years of a lot of them. And it's, it's not their fault. Yeah. It's their lot, you know, outside of being in the portal somewhere, you know, if someone wasn't going and looking for them, but yet they offer some really unique skills and services hmm. um, that once they are found, they're really valued. So how do you, you know, we, we've done work for this client in terms of how they're showing up in the AWS portal. You know, we went through and it just wasn't consistent from like one product to the next. They had their old logo on some things. Some had like a two paragraphs, some had one sentence. So we just started with the basics of like, let's first clean up what is in their system. Yeah. Um, and then get more advanced. So let me ask you this. I mean, obviously, I don't want you to divulge any trade secrets. Obviously, if someone needs a lot of help, they should, they should come work with mm -hmm. you. But... What are just some general things that companies should be thinking about if they, they're in that situation? They need to raise their awareness and, and educate the partners that they should be a bigger player in that, that ecosystem. How should they be approaching that? What are some things they should be looking at and evaluating? I could, uh, I could almost guarantee most of them have too much content that's too difficult to sort through. Hmm. And that's what we typically see. when we, Either we get a call from a company that wants to talk to us or we're doing some research. Um, we'll find companies that are just, it's kind of spray and pray. Let's put everything we can out yeah. there and you'll see different versions of client presentations. So usually we like to start with, you know, not throwing everything out, but let's go through, we do a whole assessment of your existing content and what stories really emerge from that. And um, it goes to like, you know, advice I give my kids all the time. One of the best skills to have is being able to summarize things. So. Yeah. We do a lot of that. Like we digest all of this content you have out there and we'll play back for them. Like if we were Google and we found your content, here's what I think you guys do and offer. And most of the time it's not quite right. And so, that you know, it's like, well, if we're getting that um, kind of perspective, you can't expect anything else from the rest of the world. So how do we get down to really that elevator pitch. And we, we always say it's like elevator pitch is like really 15 seconds. It's yeah. not like 10 charts. And let's put the charts aside, talk. Um, and we, we talked about this a little bit um, before this in terms of the storytelling. And it is, that's really what it comes down to of whether it is driving awareness within the partner or the end user. If your story isn't simple, different, powerful, it's, it's not going to be something people remember and tell their peers about. And it's hard to do. It's a lot easier said than done. Um, but when we see companies that really nail that, and then they've got a sales force that is out there, like keeping it simple, but making it clear on how we differentiate ourselves, that's when you start to see things really move. I love that. I love that because I, I can just imagine myself in the shoes of someone trying to get the attention of their partner and just thinking, we just need more content. We got to put more content out there until they notice us. And they're, what they're really doing is just flooding the system and making it harder for that unique, concise story to really stand out. Yeah, I, we, we would say 
most companies tend to make the situation even worse by doing that. <laughs> yeah. Really, and um, you know, so a big piece of the work that we've kind of fallen into doing as part of the whole partner marketing effort, um, because of this problem of of needing to tell a really succinct story, most of the projects we work on and culminate in call it a landing page, some call it an interactive uh, um, website, but we build you know, one simple page that tells the combined story of you know, company A and AWS, company A and Google. Our challenge there is when we're working with this $2 billion company and they do partner with AWS, Microsoft, you know, call it five or six of them, yeah. we, our big challenge is how do we tell a different story for you, the company, with these different partners, um, and not that it has to be completely unique, your differentiators are still your differentiators, but we can't just have like cookie cutter approach to it. That's the one part of that problem. The other is, think about the uh, account list or their target list that they've got in Salesforce or wherever it's being managed. I always, you know, at some point ask the client, so how are we going to determine who's getting the email or going to see the campaign for you guys and AWS versus you guys and Google because the way that they were doing it was everyone gets everything. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's absurd. Um, we could get into more of the work that we do around personalization, but that's really, um, you know, my, not to jump around too much, but going a little bit to the IBM days, when I first, um, was promoted to vice president of marketing. It was in IBM's WebSphere, for IBM's WebSphere brand, middleware, very boring stuff, but definitely paid the bills at IBM. <laughs> um, and when I started to, I had to get on a weekly call with our sales leader going through pipeline. And in the beginning, I'm like going through the motions, my team's preparing me, and I'm like laying the numbers out there. But as I got, more educated and understanding really what the pipeline consists of and where it's coming from. Um, so much of it was, you know, old, outdated, shouldn't be in there. And so essentially we were looking at data that's not helpful yeah. and spending a lot of time doing it. And that's not an IBM thing. And I, I think IBM has come a long way since then. So no negativity there, but I often go in and I don't make friends doing this, but um, really question the quality of pipeline. Just having been there and don't, not being fooled by the numbers, but really starting to drill down. So we like to look at like individual opportunities, you know, find some patterns, and then the campaigns that we typically run with our clients are not targeting the masses by any means. Right. Um, we start really small and then expand it as we're optimizing and improving things. There's been times where like after two weeks we completely pulled the campaign because it just was getting zero traction. Um, and we work out the funding with our clients to share some of that risk, knowing that not everything is gonna fly. Like we, hmm. we try to do some bold things. That's part of how we believe you could stand out. Um, and they don't always work. So. We do work best with clients that are willing to take some risks, but yeah. also understand with the risks, you know, not everything works all the time. But when it does work, it'll, it's better than, you know, things you've done in the past. No, I get that. I mean, there's, just going back to my own career, some of the best programs I've ever run are ones where risk was taken on both sides. Right? Mm -hmm. I, you know, we ran this big $14 million program with Intel and about 20 of their partners. And, you know, they were taking a big risk on us. It was a big investment, obviously, for, in, for Intel with us based on the current partnership. But we also took a risk in terms of, like, we, we built a program before we got commitment from the partners. And we, we committed engineering. And so we took a risk on our side. And it was one of the best programs. And it actually launched new products at Foundry. But, you know, we had to commit risk on our side. And, you know, as my partner at Intel said, like, both teams had skin in the game. Yeah. That. And it was it was one of the best programs. A couple of things I want to dig in there and then I want to go back and hear more about, about your time at IBM. Yep. Um, I kind of get the content thing how we got here because there were so many years where content was king. And we got to put content out there. And we do a study every year, customer engagement. We just released it this year. It's one of my favorite studies because it really taps into how content's being consumed in the purchase decision process and how that 
you know, content consumption changes based on where you're on the funnel. Consistently, year after year, we hear that there's just too much fluffy marketing hype content out there and it's not aiding them in the purchase process. It's, and it's a real challenge. I think we just had years of we just got to put content out there for the sake of content. And a lot of times we get product-specific people just talking about how great these features functionality, you know, how great it is. And, you know, people are not getting value out of it. So I kind of get how we got there. But I wanted to dive in on you have one partner that's working with maybe multiple partners that are competitors. You mentioned not taking a cookie-cutter approach to it, right? So let's just say you're partner X and you're working with AWS and Google Cloud, like, how do you really differentiate it when you might have the same story with, with maybe two you know, cloud providers? What, yep. What's the approach there? So what we like to do is go and talk to the partners. So part of our process is this can't be done with company X, you know, and it's like we're going to spring this on Google because a lot of partners do and there's not like you can technically do that. Be like, yeah. hey, here's the campaign we're launching. They check a box and we're good. We really emphasize and we could help facilitate bringing both sides to the table, hmm. it always yields other helpful results and networking and, you know, it's almost always face-to-face. -face. Um, we've done a bunch of these in the last couple of months. Uh, but the key piece for us is at some point we'll just meet with, let's say, AWS. And it's like, what do you guys love about these guys? What, what makes them, sets them apart? And that will usually, you know, we're listening for a few things that we haven't talked about in others. Um, you know, in some cases, it's like their engineers are just simply the best there are. They can solve anything. Um, some of it is, you know, we've been working so long with them. They know our products as well as, as we do. In one case, they actually helped one of these partners, like, build one of their core platforms. Okay. So it's like they might be more experts than us at our own platform. So digging those things out, where in that case, that was something, they helped build the platform, they never even mentioned it to us. Um, because so many people have come and gone since then that they didn't necessarily have that history. Um, and then in other cases, it's just combing through case studies, looking for some trends there. Um, that also ties a little bit to my IBM days where when IBM was launching Smarter Planet, the big mm -hmm. ad campaign, yeah. I had been given an it was one of the best assignments I ever had in my time at IBM. For, I don't know, six or eight months, I was asked to like scour IBM case studies and customer success stories for certain attributes that were like the things that made Smarter Planet smarter. Yeah. It was the three eyes. And By the way, that sounds, that sounds like a Gen, a, Gen AI task. Yeah, now, like <laughs> right? I mean, it was so, it was very manual, but it yeah. was also then going and working with the client team to say, hey, your client, this is someone we really want to feature, yeah. you know, on like the masters and stuff. So getting early on, when I finally went to, to my boss with it, it was like, here's a list of great stories and they're all on board. But um, going through them, you start to see patterns and that's really what we were trying to do at the time with Smarter Plan. Let's find hmm. companies that are all starting to, you know, use these principles to build smarter food systems yeah. or pharma, pharmaceutical systems. So. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, in the end, it goes back to um, the real storytelling. So I, I, and I, we haven't talked about my education stuff, but I did, I was studying to be a journalist. Oh, yeah. I've, uh, I did spend some time in journalism and have always been a writer, first and foremost. I started my career in PR and speech writing. Um, and so that's still what I love to do. Yeah. And even though a lot of this is really complex, technical, I really listen for the story, and sometimes it's more of a human story. Sometimes it is just purely like an amazing technology breakthrough type story, but there's got to be a story. I, I love that because this also kind of ties into going back to if you're trying to raise awareness with that key partner, I think you just said like you could check the boxes to get the funding, right? And I see that happen all the time. We just meet the, the you know, MDF requirements and we get refunded, you know, our, our reimbursement. Yep. But if I'm taking the time to dig in on that true connection, that true story, that partner might see that effort. They might see the, the value of that marketing. Now, all of a sudden, I might be more on their radar. So it's all kind of like coming full circle now in, in terms of the time I'm putting in and differentiating on the partnership level. Absolutely. I could give you a, a solid example of that. The same $2 billion company that we work with, they were um, from the campaign work we did with them. 
they were named the Google Cloud Marketing All-Star of 2022, I think it was, but yeah. it was like for the best campaign. And then um, they their funding, I think, almost doubled nice. the following year. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, sure, it's part of it is the business performance. It's a lot of factors, but right. the marketing element is one thing that could really stand out because not everyone does it and not everyone puts you know, the time and effort, even the fact that they had us involved where we started to get to know the relationship owners on both sides, it's like we made ourselves kind of a necessity in and yeah. th as an agency, that's kind of where you want to be. But um, it was really like, it's been like one team. Uh, we've gotten together for dinners together and it all goes back to, they, they are on board with the story and it's always evolving. Yeah. Um, I know that a client gets it when, whether it's a text or an email, but it's a, either a thought or I just had a meeting, and it's a great example of what we're talking about. It's like, you get it. Um, because, you know, that's how people really understand things. It's not about pitching products, but it's like, hey, I'm working with this other client. They're just like you guys. We help them do X, Y, and Z um, versus, hey, we do this, 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 and this. And so, also tying a bit to your content point, we find you know the two types of content that I don't think are going away anytime soon and that still do produce results is real thought leadership, like qual you know, real deep thinking, stuff that gets your, your mind going. Yeah. And then education. So it's that's the opportunity for the product teams that really want to see all of that detail. Like a lot of times we'll say, listen, we get you that that's the message. It's not right for this blog. Yeah. But let's write a more you know technical piece for your education site and training. Um, maybe this finds its way into some sessions at your upcoming event. Like it, it should have a home, but it doesn't always have to have to be published on your corporate blog or you know a, a bylined article. No, I love it. You know, and, and it's like I think a selfish plug for this podcast. You know, one of the things, my main goal for the podcast is really like, it has to be entertaining, right? I see so many webinars out there, even marketing webinars, where I'll even want to attend. You know, maybe a competitor is putting one on, out. I attend, I get 10 minutes into it, and I get distracted, or I'm just, I'm just not interested in it. And so I, I've tried to keep these conversations hugely conversational, and one thing I've noticed that's come out of it is, every episode almost has a theme, and it's a theme that I didn't go into saying, hey, we're going to go in today's episode talking about storytelling. But like that seems to be a theme coming out of this conversation now. And I, when I look back at my other episodes, each of them has a theme that, that's come out of it. And each of them are, are little individual stories. Um, and I see the power in that. And, but I never thought about that from a partner marketing perspective. Because I, you know, I live in the world on the media side where it's a lot of performance driven yeah. metrics, right? Um, I'm not always on your side where, hey, we got to get this story right before we even go to media. And I think it's obviously a hugely crucial part of that, that, that program and that campaign. Yeah, and, and the best part about it is um, we could be working with one client and we're telling their story. But once you bring in a partner, you have a whole other dimension um, where... Company A is great, and they differentiate themselves with you know these two or three things, AWS or Google, whoever. They are known for these things. It's not just like adding two plus two. Right. As you bring them together, there's a, an opportunity to tell a whole new story. And for us, like that's part of the driving factor of where we decide to really focus in on partner marketing, because we were doing lots of work with cloud companies, cybersecurity, and it just felt like we're saying the same things a lot of times, and that's because what they do is very similar. So once we, and I've, I've been in the partner marketing space for a long time, but now as an agency working with both sides, you know, light kind of went off and it was like, now we have this opportunity to do something different for both of them. And mm -hmm. if we do it right, I would say to my team, like AWS, they're gonna start paying attention because it's like, all right, we're not just taking the AWS logo and story and like stamping it on our client. Right. Like we really want to work at that storytelling. And, um, you know, I must say some of that came from IBM and, you know, my time in corporate, particularly working on things like um, IBM's uh, Centennial Celebration. There was a lot of work. There was a book written on IBM's first hundred years. There was videos and 
it was like the ultimate storytelling, um, combining like human element, technology, business. And that was another one of my assignments I got to roll up my sleeves and work on. Cool. And so it just kept bringing me back to like my journalism background. Yeah. I want to hit the pause button to ask if you received your latest customer engagement research from Foundry, home of global editorial brands like CIO.com. Did you know that 87% of tech decision makers say that it's challenging to find high quality content when looking to make a tech purchase? Customer engagement is actually one of my favorite tech reports as it dives into the content consumption habits of tech decision makers. And it helps marketers understand the challenges and opportunities when marketing to tech buyers. The report goes into detail on how content's been consumed to help make purchase decisions and how those consumption habits change based on the buying persona and where people are in the purchase process. Learn how to drive greater results through your marketing activities through the insights of Foundry's customer engagement study. Get your free copy of Foundry's customer engagement study by heading over to foundryco.com slash on the road. That's foundryco, F-O-U-N-D-R-Y-C-O.com forward slash on the road. And don't forget, if you want to support the show, subscribe to our new YouTube channel or give us a rating, like, or even a comment on your favorite podcast platform. Cheers. So let's, let's dig into that. I'd yeah. love to hear your story at IBM because, you mm-hmm. know, looking at LinkedIn, it looks like you, you moved your way up. I'd love to know kind of how you did that. And then how did you get into partner marketing? Where did that start to come up? Sure. So um, I started my career out of college working for a PR agency in Manhattan that uh, is no longer around. They were acquired, but it was IBM's PR agency. So I'm 20-something right out of school and kind of thrown right into pitching media and driving press coverage for IBM and built relationships uh, as the agency partner with IBM. And I, I moved around a bit. I actually went to a bigger agency, Burson Marsteller, worked on the SAP account, and then got a call to, to join IBM in their research division. So um, IBM Research is known for being like a special place within IBM. It's like a little bit, you know, off from the rest of the business because it's all about finding that next huge thing. And so I got to spend two years at IBM Research, primarily as a speechwriter for, at the time, the senior vice president of Hmm. IBM Research. Um, And just really took it upon myself to work the network in terms of meet a lot of people around IBM. Um, I had some great mentors that were giving me guidance along the way. And early on, I realized that one of the best ways to succeed at IBM in a lot of places is not by trying to be like the star that's always being called out, but be known as that guy that's like always collaborating with the right people because IBM's so huge. Part of it is just, it's not even like, you know, upsetting other teams, but it's knowing who to pull in and when to build a bigger, better story. Yeah. And I, I think I, I built a knack for that and that was, acknowledged early on. And so um, then I was kind of bounced around all different parts of the IBM business just to learn the hardware business, software, research, finance. Um, And fast forwarding a bit, uh, IBM started this program um, called the IBM Corporate Service Corps. I forget what year, maybe 2007. The idea was uh, they were going to build groups of eight people from around the world. So eight people, eight different countries from eight different disciplines of IBM. So I was the marketing communications person on our team. And I was actually on the second team overall. This program still lives on today, but I was the second team overall to go. So we were like a little bit of the guinea pigs and went to Tanzania. So spent a month there working with this group of eight people. We're all still friends. So that was one element. Everybody flew in for it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was months of preparation, like an IBM team, and the guy who started it, I'm still friends with, he came from the Peace Corps. IBM hired him. <laughs> he built this amazing program. So IBM's approach was instead of, you know, donating money to developing countries, let's donate our skills. So we were working on transportation projects, uh, tourism-based projects, you know, environment, things that 
you know, IBM as a company cares about and that these organizations really need help with. What a great um, concept. It was, it was yeah. life, it, it changed my career and it changed, you know, how I, you know, saw things from a personal level. Yeah. So much so that when, called five years later, IBM announced an executive version of that program, I was like one of the first ones to sign up. So I, that time went to Nigeria. Wow. And the executive program was more about working on like existing opportunities, mm -hmm. where the other one was more, you know, helping local communities. So I was working with the government of Lagos, Nigeria on a transportation related project. Um, unbelievable, just the experience, the people I met, and it opened my eyes to just, you know, the different types of opportunities in the yeah. world out there. Yeah. So um, coming out of that, I I was promoted to, most of my career at that point was communications, PR, some marketing. Then I was thrust into the world of marketing. So I was, my first job was vice president of demand generation for WebSphere. Okay. So my boss at the time uh, was like, you're going into the belly of the beast. Like if you could do this, everything else will be easier. Yeah. And it was tough and it was, um, you know, I took some, some, I got some bruises from just learning how, you know, as a leader of marketing, I had to work with the sales leader and everything that's involved in running a business. I mean, I had a multi-million dollar budget. What, I had a large what, team. What was the t toughest part about it? Um, really working through that whole sales relationship. I, we're, at the we're, time, we're, I, we're tough guys, you know? Like, I did, yeah, you guys are. Should I, be my boss. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what it is? I, at the time, I was coming in, and in general, the perception wasn't great of sales. That's a joke, by the way. I know, I hear, My boss is gonna watch hear, this. No, like, no, She's I a wonderful it. person. <laughs> I hear you. Um, but uh, there was not a great track record of communication between sales and marketing, mm. and, Part of it really was about that pipeline, weekly pipeline conversation. So once yeah. I started to understand that. That's where you started to learn to dig into the numbers, huh? And then once I was transparent with the sales leader about it, and I had a very, you know, uh, driven sales leader, you know, my first, right at, as soon as I was announced in the job, the next day, there was the sales kickoff meeting in Athens, Greece. And they put me on a plane to go there to get, you know, immersed in, the content and the products and meet the sales team. And they were like ready to roast me. But when I was like, listen, you know, I, I don't wanna pump up pipeline numbers. You know, I'm here to be a partner to sales and we yeah. have to work together. Um, and we did, we made some strides, but that was really where I, you know, the, I, I, my eyes were opened up to the fact that if sales and marketing, if they're not one team, it's nearly impossible to be successful. Yeah, um, and we we see a lot of that today. Not where they don't get along or they don't like one another, but the process is still there's a sales process, there's a marketing process, and it's got to just be one. And I, I see that compounded on the partner side too, right? Yeah. When you, you might have a marketing team at, at one organization and leads are going to a sales team at a different organization. Yeah, right? absolutely. Talk, talk about a divide. And going back to that client that works with multiple partners, they've got a team that they're the ones picking up the phone on all of them. Yeah. So we, we realize this and we're like, whoa, 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 we have to go help that team because they either are gonna use the same script for everybody or they really need to understand the story. And it was actually a, a great um, step forward in that relationship that we got with the leader of that, uh, that team. And at first it was like, what do you guys wanna meet about? And it's like storytelling for a lot of the sales reps. Like, how are they getting on the phone and talking about this? He's like, you know, send some email scripts. We're like, no, 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 no. We want, and what we ended up doing was uh, a series of sessions where we like pitched the sales team these stories. Like, would this work? And they're like, like that, but this part has to go. Um, and in the end, you know, it was, I'll try to tell the story or how they pitched it, you know, they were diving right into their products. What we realized is that by creating a couple of analogies, and in that case, I'm trying to remember them, but like the game of golf, it's been around for, I don't know, 100 or 200 years, and not much about the game has changed, but technology has started to change, whether the equipment, now something could show you how far away you are from the hole, doesn't necessarily make you a better player, but it can give you a competitive advantage. 
Farming was the other one. Yeah, We've been yeah. farming for hundreds of years. You could keep, you could still farm the way that we did hundreds of years ago. Stuff will still grow, but when you've got like the latest machinery, you're gonna crank out a whole lot more. Um, and so for this company, the story was essentially the same. Like their technology has not changed and they had this perception of legacy. And we're like, it might not be a terrible thing because clients could still use it in a different way, get new benefits from it, but it's not like I'm throwing out the game of golf and creating a new game. And that wasn't the greatest way of me setting it up, but just helping them a way into the conversation versus like defensive, like this isn't legacy stuff. Yeah. Um, it, it opened their minds and we, we've seen now they're producing their own content, kind of telling that story. Wow. And that's uh, that's always our goal. Like we, in a lot of cases, we're helping existing marketing teams do things better. And not that we're like geniuses and they, they have very smart people, but they're doing a lot of things. And if we could help them be better storytellers, in a lot of cases, we've stopped working with clients and we have great relationships as we've walked away, but they came in with the setting the expectation, like my team needs help, we're junior or we have different skills but I want my team to do the work. I want you guys to help do the work, yeah. but like coach as you're going along. And we do a lot of that. Hmm. And so even though it hurts financially, when we part ways with clients like that, I mean, we almost always end up doing more work down the road, but that's the ultimate success for us. Yeah, that makes sense. So how'd you make the switch from IBM to, to opening your own agency? So over the course of uh, particularly the last five years in the different marketing leadership roles, we were working with a lot, and they're still working with a lot of great agencies, big ones, um, some smaller boutique ones, but in the partner space. And um, I did start working in the IBM partner organization, you know, about midway through my IBM career. And then I realized for every, you know, product that IBM has, there's a whole partner network. So that only helped me succeed, like in that demand generation role for WebSphere. Mm -hmm. They have a huge partner and network and a huge user community. Um, and so uh, a lot of um, that work parlayed into the work I had done. My last job at IBM was uh, on the IBM cloud team and building um, you know, new partner relationships and campaigns. And none of our existing agencies were ideal for doing it. We were using agencies best on like the best case scenario or the closest to what we actually need. Um, and they were really great at marketing technology, but the piece they were missing was really understanding the whole inner workings of the partner relationships. And so I had this idea of let's build an agency that focuses just on that and bring on people who have spent most of their careers doing partner marketing. Um, and then the expectation of my team is that we know the inner workings, whether it's the funding piece of it, the brand guidelines, like we live and breathe that stuff. So one of the benefits we could bring is we've got that knowledge where there's no guessing, like, you know, we have done this over and over again. Um, and in a lot of cases, a client will say, we've really struggled with this part of the process. And you know, most of the time we could help uh, navigate that. So I'd love to get your perspective on why there are not more agencies supporting partner marketing. Because you know, we we work with a lot of agencies out there yep. on the B two B side. They tend to be more on the corporate advertising side. I run a sales team that sells the partner marketing organizations, and I just know how much money there is out there in partner marketing and how successful these organizations have been. Why aren't there more agencies supporting that that side of the business? Um, I do think that there are plenty of agencies out there, but they're doing other things. They're not just specializing in that. Um, and so it goes back to the notion of like good marketing agencies, but might not be thinking about it the same way of bringing those two brands together. And I would say that I've, I've seen more of them starting to creep out of different places over yeah. the last year or so. Hmm. Definitely a greater focus, but it was part of, you know, if I'm laying it all on the table, that was part of the, my idea of leaving IBM was like, there seems to be a gap here. And, you know, I did my own research, like looking around and found a couple here and there. Yeah. But um, there's definitely a need. And I always say it's like for my team, I'm not worried 
at least today, not go wood about, you know, being blown away by some competitor. There is so much business out there to be had that, you know, we partner with a lot of agencies that work, do similar work to us, um, even for capacity type issue. We help, you know, some big agencies where when they're tapped on a con the content capacity, we step in. And so um, I've seen it around the partner space that we've been pulled in where some other agencies just don't even have an idea of how big of an opportunity it is. Yeah. And then you get in there and it starts to grow. Um, but it's an exciting space to be in. Yeah, and I, I, there's probably a skills gap too, because you know we work with a lot of advertising agencies in the B2B space. And then when you start to dig into these teams and how, how you know, versatile those skills are in B2B, it's, you know, a lot of those people are coming from consumer backgrounds, right? And all of a sudden they're on an account like AWS and they're trying to learn B2B. And then you throw a partner in there too. And, you know, like you said, the, you know, brand guidelines and MDF requirements, you know, all these little nuances. I think that scares a lot of people. It is because um, I know just from when I've had new, some new people join the team or junior staff that haven't been exposed to the B2B inner workings, um, they're kind of blown away about, as we're talking about, like decision makers, and it's like a committee. It's not like, you know, I'm going online, I'm looking for a new tent for my camping trip, and I make the decision. Like, yeah. it could easily get frustrating because there's so many layers and levels to it, but that's also the opportunity because if it was easy, everyone would be doing yeah. it. And that's um, that's honestly the biggest challenge that we, we're working on now is just the whole notion of personas and targeting the right buyers, because it, it almost all of these decisions are made by multiple people, maybe multiple teams. And so that has, you have to approach that differently than an individual, um, and it's hard. No, I think you're right. I think once you can kind of figure it out in that niche, you're such a key, I don't want, I don't want to use another word, partner, but you are a key partner yeah. to these partners. Um, you know, I think we're a little more downstream with than you in terms of, you know, we're executing more on the media side of things. But, you know, our team's really figured out the, M the MDF stuff, the, the, the brand guidelines, working with two marketing agencies or two marketing teams, potentially two legal teams, two procurement teams. We've had to figure it out, right? Yeah. And so even in a tough year last year, you know, where we see a lot of our competitors declining on the, on the partner side, we were up 22% year over year, wow. right? Because we've become an easy button for a lot of our partners, right? And uh, probably the same reason why people are going to you, that they know that you can help them do this you know, very easily you know, within the brand guidelines, you know, M MDF's not gonna get pushed back. Um, so I think, I think it is a wonderful niche and I love it. And I, I, to your point, I think there's still so much room to grow. Even at our clients, you know, even, you know, having people in this podcast and hearing about their careers and partner marketing used to be this redheaded stepchild out, you know, cast out and all of a sudden these are, you know, the, the growth engines at a lot of these companies. Absolutely, uh, and I, I remember when I was working at IBM in the, uh, in the partner space, people were like rolling their eyes, like, oh man, like what did you do wrong? <laughs> um, because at the time, at least in the PR role, it was like a lot of approving press releases and IBM would get just every partner in the world sending press releases for approval. But it also kind of opened my eyes to like, you've got all these companies out there that are dying to co-market with IBM. Yeah. And don't be so quick to dismiss them because even some of the, we started to find some really small, niche players that were doing something incredible. Um, and how do you use that to expand, you know, what IBM does and the, the view of partners? Because uh, so many people, at least in the IBM world, thought of like the big distributors, but um, especially from an industry perspective, some really unique partnerships that, you know, people had no idea these companies were working with IBM. Um, and so there's a lot of goodness to be had for both sides. Yeah, yeah. So what was it like going from a century-old giant global company to now owning your own business? Like, what, what has that transition been like for you? Uh, it definitely, in hindsight, when I thought, like, after a year I, like, adjusted, it really took a few years. Yeah. Especially after 15 years and working in a corporate environment, um, it was both liberating, like, okay, now... I'm kind of in control of my own time, which was very different from my life at IBM, uh, but also the pressure of like, you know, I, in the IBM world, even as a, a vice president, you know, strategy is kind of laid out and it's like you get your marching orders and, and hit it. Yeah. Um, I had to really start to think about 
where do we want to be in a few years? Um, how am I going to generate revenue this year? Yeah. You know, how am I going to build a team? How big of a team do I need? All these things that um, I never dealt with in my professional career. But the the combination of being able to use like all the skills and the experience I had, and then um, you know, giving myself a little bit of room to learn, and I knew it wasn't going to be perfect, uh, and there was plenty of mistakes. There still are plenty of mistakes along the way, and things that I've been learning. But um, it's been life changing in terms of uh, uh, work life balance, if there is such a thing. Yeah. But considering I have three, you know, kids who are nine, twelve, thirteen, and my own business. Um, I'm able to be in a lot more places, I guess, than in the past, where it was really, it was hard to get that balance. Yeah, yeah, those are great ages. I'm, I'm at a different age group. Uh, my kids are now three, five, and six. So I don't it know. It changes have, quickly. Yeah, and uh, you know, but I travel a lot, and so like when I'm when I'm around, I try to be fully present. Yeah. You know, with them, um, you know, and especially in the summers when they're just home every day, it's it's just wonderful. Yeah, and that, that was, uh, I don't want to say the driving force for leaving IBM, but one of the big factors was, you know, I traveled internationally a lot, um, probably two weeks out of every month. And it got to be, you know, where I wasn't able to do all the things that I wanted to do. And I knew it had to be, I thought maybe leaving IBM, I'll coach all my kids' teams, I'll be every... Yeah. That's not reasonable either, but now my wife, she's also in, in marketing in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and between the two of us, we've now got things covered and we both feel like we're able to be around for the kids, you know, the way that we want to. Love it, love it. So, you know, going back to your agency, mm -hmm. you know, with the work you're doing, you know, how are you all judged in terms of success metrics? Like when you complete a project, what are some of the ROI metrics or KPIs that, that they're holding you to? It'll range from, um, in a lot of cases, when we're doing work, either sales enablement or campaign work, it's as we look at the quality of the lead. So um, most, like I said, most of our campaigns, we're talking under 100 leads, and these are for companies that are driving thousands of leads. Yeah. But our approach is a small base that you could then really look at what's happening. Um, and in some cases, we wanna know with our clients that we're reaching the right people. And so we're we're actually pretty different in terms of the metrics we set up. Most of the time, our metrics aren't necessarily the metrics that they're being measured on. Like a lot of agencies, like you need pipeline, I'm gonna build pipeline, you measure it. But we'll, you know, it's like, if it's awareness is your issue, you know, sometimes it's a matter of, we wanna get press coverage in these three publications or, or mm -hmm. ones like them. Um, in some cases, it's here are, we've literally done mapping of here are 20 names, individual people at these accounts on your target account list. How many of them, you know, in three months are we going to be connected with on LinkedIn, have a conversation with, and, a, you know, we'll have like five or six attributes that we want to say, we want five or six over that threshold. Hmm. Um, and that's honestly, I think the most impactful work in terms of results that we've done is we've started to do this really manual process of like looking at individual people, even like creeping around the internet. And this was born out of marketing ourselves. So as we started to do, most of my our clients are through relationships that I've got, or people on my team, and most of them former IBMers. Yeah. Uh, after now we're in year seven, that at some point, like you exhaust that, and you've got to start going out to the masses. But I was never comfortable, like we're not for the masses. So I asked my team, let's, you know, we came up with a bunch of companies that we want to look at. Who's the leader of partner marketing? I'm sure you do a lot of the same mm -hmm. stuff. Yep. Then we start to look at some of them, and I was like, well, this person, I could see she knows a couple. And we start to whittle it down, and my team's like, you're killing us. Because it's like, uh, actually, I think that this person, also, their kid goes the same looking for some yeah. connection that makes sense on reaching out to them. Yeah. I'm saying for me personally, because my team was like, here's a list of people you could go reach out to. I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> but once I had a few that it was like, hey, we both know this person, or we both went to San Diego State, then right away that opened, that increases your you know chances a couple of fold. Yeah. So we started to do, for some of our clients that are open to like that level of, you know, 
looking at personas completely differently, I would say. Not tossing out titles and roles, but where is there really a great match? You know, this woman used to work at, you know, Pega, and you guys are pitching Pega. Like, and I say, this isn't scalable. It's not. Yeah. But let's test it and see if those are the right people. Then how do you expand your list looking for those types of individuals or connections? But I think the days of like, cold, forget cold calling, cold emailing, if it's not already dead, it's going to be dead. Even, um, and I'm glad we connected on LinkedIn. I still rely primarily on that for yeah. like new contacts. But I know I'm not picking up the phone when it's just someone out of the blue. Yeah. There's got to yeah. be some thread. Just pick it. We like the same band. We're both Jets fans. We went to the same school. <laughs> Something. Yep, yep. No, I, I, I love that. So, you know, I was just thinking, I just finished reading David Ogilvie's uh, Confessions of an Advertiser. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's funny how old that book is and just still how relevant it is. But he talks about, you know, always having a very, you know, small but high profile client list is what he what he wanted. And he knew who he wanted to get and he went out and, and, and got them and not just going after the masses. Um, so I just thought that was that That's was awesome. And it's, I'm glad you mentioned that one. That's one that my uh, my former boss, IBM's former CMO and CCO book he had on his bookshelf and he gave to everyone he could. Yeah. That's a great read. Um, it, it is. A lot of stories in it. That's it's a lot of the stories. ultimate. The ultimate, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, so, you know, based on the work you're doing, you know, it seems very objective-based. It's yeah. not, hey, we just need more leads. Is there a common challenge that's, you know, causing people to reach out to you for help that, that you're seeing across all these different folks you're working with? It, it almost always starts with the awareness piece. Like, either no one knows who we are, or Google doesn't know who we are, or both... But, um, and I will usually come to the conclusion where it's not that no one knows who you are, it's that they can't articulate what you guys do. So they know the name of your company, but that's kind of it. Or they'll be like, I think they're in the analytics space. And you know a company's done a good job when someone's like, yeah, you know, that company that does X, Y, Z. And I get it. Almost all of our clients aren't as simple as describing in an X, Y, Z. But when you're dealing with people that are in the industry, it, it can be, you know, because you don't have to over explain the challenges of hybrid cloud. You know, it's like, where, what piece do you guys fit in there? Yeah, makes sense. Thinking about the year ahead, um, you know, from the partner marketer's perspective, are you seeing any upcoming different challenges, challenges continuing, any new opportunities? Like, what do you, what do you see in this crystal ball of yours for 2024? Yep. Um, I think from a marketing partner marketing perspective, it's already been going down the path of much more industry focus. I think that's just coming more and more where it's hard to, to tell a meaningful story. So your yeah. theme is definitely on storytelling. <laughs> we, you know, a, another uh, step where like you open the aperture. The one was where you add the two companies together. Now you have a lot more to talk about. Then you add an industry component. And that from a storytelling perspective, element, you know, adds whether it's, you know, governance or trends that are happening in that industry. So I think we're going to see a lot more go down that industry hmm. path. And then on the challenging front, a few. One, we're starting to see companies get back into the live in-person events. And so struggling with the right balance and how does it fit into the overall journey? We don't want to just drop an event in to do an event. Um, but then also, I think some of our clients have gotten used to not running in-person events, and that budget has to come from somewhere. So I think this is a year where budgets remain healthy, but a lot of hard decisions are made on where we're going to spend. Um, and it's a challenge for us because we know, you know, the most of the money that we're being paid is to help tell that story, but we're always very sensitive to the fact that you can't just spend your budget on how we tell the story. It's got to be primarily spent on telling the story. Yeah. So striking that balance of, you know, here's kind of our component of it. You know, knowing your full budget, you, you want to spend, you know, X, X percent, but ensuring, because we have had early on in particular, pushed so hard on the content development that by the time we were running the campaign, really didn't have adequate funding to do everything that, really should have been done. And so 
even though that's money out of our pockets, we've had to, you know, as a good partner, first and foremost, ensure that the clients, and I always say, it's like, I don't need to know your full budget, but I just want to know that the work we're doing, you have adequate funds to get out there to the world because we have had things that they're still sitting on a shelf because the funding, you know, was never really there to, to do what we envisioned. Yeah, no, it's funny. I had uh, Melissa Nassarino on from Zscaler. I think she was episode five. And she talked about, you just, you don't want to become a party planner. Like, I saw that's, that. Yeah, that's not your job, right? And events is a very important component, but to your point, you just said, it's a component. It's not the thing. Because um, we do see it shifting back to face-to-face, and I think that's the pitfall is, oh, now we're back to events. Let's just pump money into events, and then, but you lose, you lose sight of the bigger picture. Yeah, and I think, it, you know, we're doing some event work right now, which is really focused on the education piece of it. And so in that case, we're like, we're down, not downplaying, but we're not featuring, you know, the band that's playing and the party that's going on. It's all about, here's the education track, here are the certifications, because we find that's really, when people are attending events now, for the most part, they want to go and learn about the technology. People, you know, they've experienced the giveaways and all of those things. Those are nice once you're on site, mm-hmm. but not for promoting and publicizing. I'd even say go as far as, you know, uh, the speakers. Speakers are very important, but a, you know, Mark Cuban isn't going to necessarily fill seats. But when you're helping them be better at their career and help their company now, then, you know, you're giving them a reason to attend. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. All right, Matt, you've made it to the lightning round. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if you knew this was coming, but I'm going to ask you five quick fire questions. See, right. I prepared. I watched uh, your other episode, so I knew it was coming. I don't know which five. But we'll be honest. You don't, <laughs> you don't know what's coming, though. No, right? no, yeah, no. Yeah. All right, here we go. Um, favorite day of the week? Thursday. Okay. Uh, last Halloween costume? Ooh. Uh, it's been a while. Um you may have stumped me. I don't dress up that often. <laughs> All right, we'll come back to that one. Come back to that one. Do you ever post inspirational quotes on social media? I don't. Okay. Big dogs or small dogs? Small. Okay. Finish this sentence. People that sleep with socks on are? Weird. <laughs> All right. My wife does. And yeah, I have a small dog, but I really am a big dog person, but I lost out. I want a great day and I have a little... Uh. But Wilson, our little dog, Wilson, he's uh, part of the family. I have a chocolate lab. And uh, Wall Street Journal just published an article recently on, on the benefits of sleeping with socks. Really? To help you sleep more. Um, and I, I tried it, and I just can't do it. No. I can't do it. I run hot. So my wife bought yeah. me a, uh, a cooling sleep pad. Ooh. And uh, it, it was like, we went all in. It was expensive, yeah. and it's changed my life. It's funny you say that because so I I run hot, she runs cold, and I was staying in an Airbnb in San Francisco for Salesforce, and they had one of these beds that has like you could adjust oh, for both yeah. sides. I'm like, we need this. Then I saw the price tag on. I was like, we don't need this. Yeah, but so uh, she's got a heated blanket, and I have a cooling pad <laughs> side by side. <laughs> the battle is real, and uh, yeah, that's part of it. So I got one more question, but be, be before that, um, anything you want to promote in terms of the agency? No, I would just say that, uh, you know, we love what we do in terms of helping companies get the most out of their partnerships with these industry leaders. And, you know, uh, we'd love to talk to companies about what they're doing and how we might be able to help. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's it's a benefit to a lot of companies out there. You know, I had John Gallant on. Um, yeah. God, I can't remember all the episodes. I think episode four. But, you know, his biggest advice was it's a very it's a very crowded market out there but it's a story you tell that's going to help you cut through the clutter. Yes. And I think the work you're doing with partners is, is going to help help a lot in that effort. So the last question I have for you is what a piece of advice do you want to leave for people on the road? Yep. Um, and so it, this actually is a quote. Um, Hopefully and, inspirational. Yeah. Well, something <laughs> from um, Charles Eames. I don't know if you're familiar with Charles. No, the not. Eames, well, the Eames furniture was one thing, but they also... Uh, helped create the 1964 World Fair, and they have a lot of history with IBM and design. And there are these Eames principles, and one of them is don't delegate understanding. And it's something that one of my mentors at IBM used to say to me, and I never really got until I reached a certain point at IBM, and in a couple of meetings, I found myself kind of exposed that hmm. I was relying on my team. It's like, I have someone on my team who's that expert. I don't have to worry about that. And it's not that you have to be an expert in everything, but 
um, especially the world of partner marketing, you need to understand enough about the funding element because it's hard to like build a campaign with that like completely out of the picture. And so I often remind my team, don't delegate understanding. And that goes, you know, in my personal life, I tell my kids this, it's like, don't just assume someone else is going to doing it, understanding it, you don't have to. It's important to understand enough. I love it. I'm actually writing that down because I've, from a guilty conscience, done that many times. It's so easy to do. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're just running around, you know, task to task, deadline to deadline. It's yeah. so easy to push things off. And yep. I've been exposed to my career. Yeah. It's, it's not a good feeling. No, it's not. But huh? this, was, uh, this was really great. This I, is wonderful. And I, I, love, I love to end on that. Um, like I said, I learned a lot during these episodes. And, and I hope everyone else did too. And, and cheers. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Matt. All right. This podcast has been brought to you by IDG Communications Incorporated, doing business as Foundry. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent those of Foundry or the participants' companies.